Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. I'm Jim Stengel, and this is Prosperity Through Purpose. In this series of the CMO podcast, I am going to take a critical look at a category or marketplace and highlight a brand that is winning through purpose. In this episode of Prosperity Through Purpose, we take a look at the two giants in the smartphone category, the iPhone from Apple and the Galaxy from Samsung. Apple, founded in 1976, is the larger of the two companies, with about $260 billion in revenue, about half of that from the iPhone. Samsung began as a trading company in Seoul, Korea in 1938, and has grown since then into a $200 billion multinational conglomerate. iPhone, though with a smaller share by volume, seems to be winning the battle, in part because, as we'll see, it leverages the purpose strengths of the Apple brand way better than Galaxy leverages the purpose strength of the Samsung brand. This is a classic case of how to maximize the benefits of a parent brand on a sub-brand. And here to discuss the case are Ken Favaro and Lisa Hillenbrand. Ken is the Chief Strategy Officer of Barra Brand Management, a predictive brand technology platform, and is also a guest instructor at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And full disclosure, my company is an investor and a partner with Barra. And Lisa is a former exec at P&G and is now a growth consultant with the Stengel Company. Lisa, let's start with you. Which brand is winning in your family? Funny you should ask that. There's quite a war going on, and surprisingly, they're both winning. I've got two 20-somethings who do everything on their phone. And my son is devoted to Galaxy because he doesn't want to be locked into the Apple system. And he really believes they're advertising that they have the next best thing. The Galaxy has the next best thing. So, and I think he also is really proud about not following the crowd. And he teases his sister, who is a beauty blogger. She's got thousands of users who look, who anticipate her uploads of beautiful beauty photography. And for her, her iPhone 11 is all she'll use. And she's now got, of course, the iPhone 12 on her wish list with a birthday coming up. Well, I just got the iPhone 12, by the way, which we may talk about in a bit. So that's your kids. You have a split family. How about yourself, Lisa? What's your favorite app on your phone? Yeah, I love TurboScan. It was introduced to me by a colleague, Suzanne, when I was traveling. And what I used to do way back in the days when we traveled is use TurboScan to capture all my receipts. I now use it for anything I need to scan. Pull out the phone, scan something. It's brilliant. All right, Ken. Welcome Hi, Jim. to this podcast. Are you an Apple family or a Samsung family? We are Apple. Uh, I think uh, all five of us actually are on Apple. Yep. That, that's convenient. And how about yourself? What's your favorite app on your phone? Uh, can I have two? Yeah, go ahead. Go for <laughs> it. Uh, so I'm a golfer uh, on the East Coast, which means I'm always dodging weather. And there's app called uh, there's this app called Storm Radar, which was recommended to me by a boater, um, and it allows you to. It's an app that doesn't just tell you what the weather is going to be; it shows you 
what the weather is going to be. You can actually see the storms both develop and track. Uh, and so you can develop your own forecast as to when do you think it's going to hit, in my case, the golf course. Uh, so we can duck and dive or, uh, as needed in order to uh, be able to keep on playing. It's, it's, it's just a miraculous uh, app. The second one, believe it or not, is Starbucks. Um, I just find their mobile app to be so convenient that I can order a coffee before I leave my house on my way to the office. And when I get to the Starbucks, that coffee is waiting for me and I can go straight to my office. It's uh, first of all, it's very clever uh, because I think it just reinforces loyalty. Um, but it's to me, it's just a it's a great example of uh, creating convenience uh, for something like your daily your daily coffee. So, Ken, I want to start this classic brand discussion with you, and I want to first start talking about the iPhone. Mm-hmm. So, as you look at your Barra database and the insights that come out of the platform. What is it telling us about the iPhone vis-a-vis purpose, you know, consumer uh, commitment, brand equity? What's your database share showing us? I expect, fully expected that when we went into the platform and looked at, uh, looked at iPhone's brand equity, that what we would see would be pretty extraordinary. And we did, um, ranking in the top 5% against all 4,000 of the most important brands in the United States, which we continuously uh, quantify and monitor. Uh, and then I looked at the purpose score. Um, you know, as you know, Jim, we, in our partnership with, with you all, we zeroed in on and found the 13 metrics that best describe the strengths and weaknesses of a brand's purpose. Um, and when you look at the iPhone on those 13 metrics, they pretty much hit it out of the ballpark on all 13. Uh, it's really extraordinary. I, everybody knows that the iPhone is revered for its product design and product style and its form and its function, but it's eye-watering to look at how well they score on purpose and how much of a driver of their overall brand equity uh, purpose uh, represents. They're fantastic on purpose, uh, one of the top brands in your huge database. What exactly are their strengths? You know, we talked about the 13 attributes that drive purpose. Of those 13, what for the Apple, the iPhone brand, what exactly is driving such incredible performance? Can you pull that out of the base? So as I mentioned, we, we track 13 attributes. And the reason we zeroed in on those is because they have the most causality uh, to brand equity and, and a brand's growth. Um, so we didn't just pick them, we discovered them. Um, and you look at the iPhone, as I said, they're knocking it out of the park on all 13. So it's kind of hard to, to pick, um, you know, you really want to pick all 13. But there are two that really stood out um, when we delved into the numbers. One is um, culturally relevant, uh, by which we mean part of the, part of the narrative. Um, you know, they're brand, like Taylor Swift is a great brand that is culturally relevant. Um, believe it or not, YouTube is. So these are brands that not only reflect the culture, but they also drive the culture. And iPhone is in the top 1% of 4,000 brands that is, quote unquote, culturally relevant. And the other one um, is um, um, emotional connection. Um, so by this, we mean, you know, the bond that people have with with a brand, it's a little bit like an old friend. It it has memories associated with it, experiences that you associate with it. 
it's almost like it's become part of of your own uh, your own family. And those two really stood out for me. Um, Jim, if I may, I'll tell you a story about my son because they really caught my eye because of my son, uh, Nick. Um, he he was 19, so fairly old when the very first iPhone came out. And uh, he has owned every single iPhone model since the first one came out over the last 14 years. Um, he, he'd stocked them. Uh, he always knew when the next one uh, was coming out. It was pretty much the only thing he ever asked for. Uh, for for Christmas, and after the fourteen odd years that it's it's been in the market, uh, I I look at it as it's one of his best friends. Uh, it is um, it's part of his identity, uh, and it's it's something that he has in common uh, with all of his friends. So that to me is you know the the ultimate definition of emotional connection. And it's those two things that really stood out for me on why purpose is such a strong driver of iPhone success, culturally relevant and emotional connection. What would your kids say the the iPhone purpose is? I mean, of course, they won't use marketing speak. What would they say in their own language? Um, To be uh, simple, elegant, uh, and by elegant, they always talk about how there's is a seamless integration with all of the other uh, Apple uh, products. So simple, elegant, um, and beautiful. Um, I know my, my my eldest son is uh, more artful, so he looks at it as you know as as a piece of beauty. My next son is more of a hardcore software engineer, so he more likes it for. It's kind of its functionality and it's it's seamless integration with all those uh, other Apple products. Hey, Lisa, I know you've been a fan of Apple for a long time. You're in a split family, but could you riff a little bit on where Ken started and talk a little bit about their purpose, their brand, and what you find remarkable? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. It fits perfectly to what Ken's talking about, that his two very different sons look for. Their official purpose is empowering creative exploration and self-expression. So think about that, empowering creative exploration and self-expression. And what's so cool about that is every one of their products is part of that. This is their Apple purpose. And typically when you have a branded house like that, this trickles down to all of the products. And they're both clear on how these fit together and each has a halo effect on the other. The brand architecture, if you will, of Apple is super clear. The other thing Ken talked about beauty and integration, they talk about their benefits as, or promise if you will, as simplicity, creativity, and humanity. And I love those. If you think about it, their marvelous silhouettes campaign had no words to it. They had that wonderful shot on an iPhone. And a friend of mine is a photographer in Maine, and she was shocked to discover they uploaded her photo in Times Square. And I got a message, is anybody in Times Square who could take a picture of it? That's the kind of human connection that they're known for. Yeah. So... It's no surprise, I'm sure, to our listeners that Apple's excelling on purpose, and it's always had this unique, very special culture. Ken, I'd like to come back to you and shift the discussion into Samsung and the Galaxy, which, and I suspect the purpose 
of the Galaxy is not as strong as iPhone. That's what I would guess. But could you tell us what you've learned from the data as you look at Galaxy versus iPhone? And let's, so let's shift the discussion into Samsung at this point. Yeah, well, I think your, your instinct is correct, but it has a, what I think is a huge opportunity uh, when it comes to purpose, which we can come back to. Um, but first, uh, we have to recognize that Galaxy is in a comeback uh, right now. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty amazing comeback story. Uh, it's climbing back from the battery debacle uh, with Note 7 back in late 2016 when um, the batteries just spontaneously combusted. Um, and ultimately, uh, Samsung had to cancel production. And uh, one of the beauties of the Barra platform is that because we're continuously quantifying uh, brand equity and everything that drives it, you can actually um, see the effect of events as they are happening. And if you, if you go into the platform and you look at what was happening to Samsung's brand equity um, from late 2016 to the middle of 2018, you saw a 20-point drop in its ranking against all 4,000 brands. It went from, from 86th percentile, which is extraordinary, all the way down to the 63rd percentile in the course of 18 months. Uh, and a so big this, driver is the that, this is the Galaxy equity, not the overall Samsung? The Galaxy. I'll come Galaxy. back to okay. the Samsung okay. corporate because okay. it's a really interesting um, uh, uh, comparison. Um, <clears throat> so over the course of 18 months, it fell from 86th percentile to 63rd. Uh, I went back to our head of research and I asked, what are the odds of that happening? You know, Because we do all research all the time about brand movement uh, over certain periods of time. And he told me less than 1% probability that a brand would fall from 86 to 63. So that just tells you how significant that one event, uh, the, the battery um, issue was uh, with, with regards to the brand equity for Samsung. Already. They lost, um, you know, we drive, we, we measure brand equity in terms of four ingredients of love, which we call a familiarity, regard, meaningfulness, and uniqueness. And it was regard. Uh, where they lost almost all of their their brand upgrading, which kind of makes sense. Um, they bottomed out in the middle of 2018, as I said, and they've been doing great stuff, which I think Lisa can speak to better than me, by the way. They've been doing great things to to return their brand equity to those extraordinary levels before the battery issue. So, Lisa, let's, let's uh, talk about their brand marketing. They had this you know, catastrophic event several years ago, and they pivoted, and it was, it was an awakening in, in many ways. But could you walk us through what stands out to you and what they've done since then as a marketer? Sure. Well, first, they fixed the problem. They fixed it once. It didn't work. The phones continued to explode. They fixed it again. And, you know, it's interesting. It was a near-death experience for them. It's, there are very few brands that can survive that kind of issue. I think Tylenol. And almost always when you get a brand who can survive, it's about having a strong equity. It's about regaining consumer confidence. And they start with a foundation of really beautiful design and a really well-functioning product. 
And then they've had a series of things that have been incredibly clever. To me, they have unforgettable product placement. For example, if I say selfie, Ellen DeGeneres, all of you are gonna go, oh yeah, yeah, that Oscar selfie she did with, an, with a galaxy. Um, they filmed an entire episode of The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon on a phone. And finally, I think their campaign, The Next Best Thing, you'll all remember that's the one where they're making gentle fun of all the people standing in line waiting for their iPhone. And that's the campaign that convinced my son to go from iPhone to Galaxy. Just to back up what Lisa is saying, one of the things that we can measure uh, in the platform is what we call brand momentum. Um, I won't go into all the technical uh, uh, details behind that, but um, when I went in to check and see, okay, they're in, they had this comeback story, um, you know, a, a brand that's in a comeback should have momentum. And uh, what I found was that their momentum is nine times what iPhone's momentum is. They're behind uh, on both purpose and overall equity, but their momentum is extraordinary. They, if they keep it up, uh, it's not going to be too long before they're back uh, head to head, uh, in battling, um, you know, the iPhone for, uh, consumers' hearts and minds and wallets. Is there anything there, uh, exceptional they're doing to drive this momentum other than what, what Lisa was talking about? Or do you think it's this, this creative marketing, this cultural relevance, they've fixed their regard issue, anything else they're doing to fuel this momentum? Well, there is one part of, so overall, which I want to come back to this overall, they're weaker on purpose than they are in the iPhone. Uh, and there's a really interesting explanation of what's going on there. But their purpose is okay. And when you look at those 13 metrics, one of the metrics that they're really strong on uh, is innovates with purpose. Um, people think of Apple uh, as, you know, one of the most innovative companies in the world, and they, sh and they should. Um, but uh, the Galaxy actually ties uh, the iPhone when it comes to innovates with purpose. And the other one is inclusiveness. Um, and interestingly, Galaxy beats the iPhone on inclusiveness. So I think those two things have the seed of momentum, all right? I think that's what's driving momentum, at least on the purpose side of, of their equity. And I think they're regaining their brand equity because of the strengths that they're uh, seeing in their brand purpose. Lisa, do you think the inclusiveness is related to their various price points versus Apple, or is it just the kinds of people they have associated with the brand as ambassadors, as partners? What do you think that's about? You know, I think it's all of those things. I think it's easier to get into the Galaxy family. My son, for example, doesn't ever go for the most expensive smartphone. He goes for one that's good enough for his connection needs. And I do think that... Um, I'm seeing Galaxy touch the hearts of lots of people to really think about inclusiveness in a broader sense and among multiple groups. For example, they featured at the last Consumer Electronics Show a whole program on their smartphone about aging in place. And man, that is something my parents could have absolutely used. For example, if you have a heart attack, your chances of getting another one go down 80% if you do cardiac rehab. 
But guess what? Something like 20% of people do it, 80% don't. So what Samsung did was create a whole app and program to help people do cardiac rehab at home. And man, they, they got lucky with the timing. They couldn't have anticipated the pandemic coming along. But that's an example of the kind of reach out inclusiveness I see them doing. They created a braille phone for people like Helen Kellers of the world who are both blind and deaf. You can actually, they have a phone that's braille and touch based that's allowing these people to communicate with their families. So they're doing a lot of things like that. And much of it, I think they are not getting credit for because it doesn't tie together as well as the iPhone story and this creative self-expression that Apple's all about. Um, you mentioned the idea that, well, probably their purpose isn't as strong. I'd say their purpose is a little more generic because if you think about Samsung, they've got to, it's got to work for refrigerators and microchips and phones. So they have a much broader product mix and they call it their vision, but it's about inspiring and creating the future. I think that's fine. And I think that's what they do. I just love to see them bring that to life more and connect the dots to, with people. If I hadn't seen the, the consumer electronics show example, I would have had no idea of the kinds of things they were doing. What Lisa is saying, uh, I think belies uh, what I think is both the big issue and the big opportunity uh, for Galaxy within Samsung. Um, so in addition to monitoring um, Galaxy in the platform, we also monitor Samsung, the corporate brand. And uh, I was kind of curious, so I went in and said, well, how do their brand equities compare? How do their, their purpose uh, scores compare? And the first thing I saw really shocked me. Um, before this started, I was thinking of putting you on the hot seat, Jim, but I won't do it. Uh, instead, I'll just Go for I'll it. just I'll just say, how many people in the United States? Um, because this is our focus uh, this morning. But how many people in the United States would have predicted that Samsung's corporate brand has stronger equity than Apple? Um, no one. No one. I was shocked. I was shocked. Samsung's brand equity is in the top 2% of all 4,000 of the most valuable brands in the United States. Apple's is in the top 4%. So Apple's right up there. That's what most people think of. But Samsung is ahead. And a key driver of that is Samsung's purpose. It scores in the 90th percentile on purpose. But when you drop down and look at Galaxy, its brand purpose is way below iPhone's brand purpose, which you alluded to at the top. Um, so something's not trickling down uh, from Samsung's extraordinary brand equity and just a strong brand purpose down to the, to the Galaxy uh, level. In fact, the, what I call the purpose gap uh, between Galaxy and Samsung is seven times bigger than the purpose gap between the iPhone and Apple. So the iPhone is benefiting much more from Apple's purpose than Galaxy is from Samsung's purpose. If they can close that gap, that's yet another way for them to finish their comeback story, uh, to build on the momentum that they have, and actually become even more competitive uh, with the iPhone around the world. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. 
And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Well, I said up front, this was a classic case of a sub-brand, in one case, benefiting from the brand purpose and brand equity of the corporate brand. That's Apple and iPhone. And Samsung and Galaxy, not as much. So that's a really interesting issue, and you framed it beautifully there, Ken. I'd like to ask both of you, we know the situation now. Galaxy has some momentum. But if they could close this gap as iPhone and get as close to the corporate purpose as iPhone has with Apple, wow. They're going to be a way bigger brand, a way stronger brand. If you two were running the brand, if you were the brand team on the Samsung Galaxy, what are some of the things you would do to close that gap? Because that's a lot. It's a very conceptual thought. It's easier said than done. So I want to ask either one of you, Lisa, maybe you can start. You know, what kinds of things would you do to close that gap if you were running the, running the team? Sure. It's interesting. We've never before had the data to granularly start to talk about what are the levers and what can you do. And what we continue to see is that Apple is showing the importance of connecting everything they do to purpose. In fact, I heard their big lines for the iPhone 12, despite the mocking from Samsung. For Galaxy, there's all kinds of upside. And to me, it's about bringing their purpose to life and connecting that to everything they do in a way that accelerates growth and looking more granularly into the data to say, okay, which of the factors are lower or higher? And then looking, which we haven't done, into the subgroups. How is this playing out for millennials? How's this playing out for older consumers? And I think the breadth of appeal and the strength of the Samsung equity they could get much more out of it. We had a, have a marketing saying that a, that a great brand line extensions needs to borrow from the parent and pay rent to the parent. And I think in this case, they need to do that. They need to continue to borrow from it. And as they recover from their fire, they need to be continually investing in their equity and in their purpose and in their connections with people. Ken, I'm going to come to you in a minute, but I want to at least ask you a question. You've worked with so many teams over the last years on discovering and activating their purpose and measuring it. What organizationally, I know you're, this is an unfair question in many ways, you're not inside Samsung, you're not running the Galaxy, but what kinds of organizational things would you look at to make sure that happens? Wow, big question because a lot of things need to happen. But I see using purpose in a way that galvanizes and unifies the entire organization. So for example, Pampers, when they became all about caring for babies' development, they had baby equipment and posters and kids in the office and they really lived that purpose in a way that energized everything else. And if you think about using purpose as a filter to every activity you do, for example, the Samsung discussion, should we invest in aging in place for an iPhone? You'd say, okay, if we exist to inspire and create the future, is this something we should do? And you'd say, yes, absolutely, this is something we should do. So using that as a filter and finally linking the disparate activities, often with a branded house, there's so many people touching the brand that it becomes really hard to pull those pieces together. And you really need a unifier like purpose and a unifier like equity to do that. And Apple is absolutely the master of 
unifying around a purpose, and then filtering everything through. It's got to be creative, it's got to be simple, and it's got to be human. And it creates magic. Yeah, yeah. So Ken, if you're running the brand and you want to close this gap on equity of Samsung and Galaxy, what are some of the things to build off of Lisa said you would do, you would recommend? Well, um, being where I'm from, you would expect this, but I would go, first of all, I would go to the data. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, we can break down uh, a brand's purpose into 13 um, associations uh, that c consumers or customers have for a brand, uh, 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 for a brand that uh, aggregates up to their overall sense of the brand's purpose. So I would drop down to those 13 attributes and ask myself, they're not all equal in terms of the gap uh, between Galaxy and, and the corporate parent brand, uh, Samsung which of the ones uh, represent the biggest gaps? And I would focus all my energy on, on closing uh, those gaps. And when I look at that data, I see four uh, attributes uh, that I think are key to closing that gap in a way that builds Galaxy's purpose uh, to contribute to its overall equity comeback and really uh, take advantage of that momentum it has. One of those is personal connection, by which we mean sense of belonging and, and kin kinship. Interestingly, one of the brands that scores highest on that was the brand that you discussed uh, in the last podcast, uh, which is Dove. But that's one. Two is stands out. Uh, by that, we mean it, it tracks attention by being different. Um, brands, for better or for worse, that stand out on that are brands like Chick-fil-A and Audi. Um, you can look beyond. You don't have to look at just your own category to get inspiration for how to close these uh, purpose gaps and build purpose attributes. Another one is values and beliefs, by which we mean the brand represents clear convictions and principles and ideals. Uh, Lady Gaga, um, which is, a, believe it or not, a brand that we track, uh, is uh, stands out on that one, as does, interestingly, uh, Disney+. Plus. Um, and then a fourth attribute that I'd really focus on is inclusiveness, which we've touched on already in this podcast. But that there's a big gap there between Galaxy and Samsung on, on inclusiveness, by which we mean, is it welcoming uh, to all? Uh, brands that score really high on that are Kleenex, uh, for example, and, and Cheerios. So uh, I would go to the data um, and I would look at, at brands that, uh, really perform well uh, on the subset of 13 metrics that represent the biggest gap between Galaxy purpose and Samsung purpose and use that as inspiration for coming up. You know, one of the things we like to say about Bear is we take a lot of the labor and the latency um, out of building brands so that marketers and brand builders can focus on the art of, of building brands. So, you know, we can make that data and those analytics available at the, at the tip of your fingers. And then it's off to people like Lisa who have the art uh, to be able to leverage that what the data and analytics is saying are the, are the priorities for the brand. So you're, you would recommend to the Galaxy brand to work in these four areas, inclusiveness, standing out, personal connection, beliefs and values, and close that gap versus the corporate brand and ideate on that, brainstorm on that, and, and figure out how that's going to influence your marketing. Correct. And I would engage my brand agency in, in yeah. to partner with us on that. Yeah. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask both of you to, we're going to come to the end of this discussion, to leave us with one major takeaway from this discussion as a lesson 
about leveraging the strength of a corporate brand to the sub-brand. So, and Lace, I'm going to come to you, but before I do that, I just have to shout out, you mentioned Cheerios as one of the benchmark brands a moment ago, Ken. Uh, This just past Christmas, I mean, talk about this podcast is about purpose and great marketing and great people and great leaders. I mean, I just thought it was so inspired that Cheerios brought back the grandmother from the ad 20 years ago and created a video of the grandmother today with the baby from 20 years ago, who's now a 20 something and just kind of recreated that connection. I mean, that was just so inspired, so wonderful, so beautiful. We've had the general Mills CMO on the podcast, uh, fabulous leader. And I sent him a note about that, you know, uh, when it happened and, and he said, it's, it's just such a great team that's led by purpose. I mean, that says it all. Yeah. And it's a great example of creating that bond um, through shared memory and shared experience, which we call emotional connection. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Lisa, your last word, major takeaway from our really interesting discussion, wide-ranging discussion today. I think it's got to be that you need, as a company, and particularly if you're a giant brand in a branded house, you need a strong purpose, and you need to use that as a filter. You need to say, if you're Apple, we exist to empower creative exploration, and then you need to say, how does this impact our innovation, our marketing, the kinds of people we hire, our organization structure? to deliver that. And if you are a marketer listening to this podcast and you work on Google, HP, Lego, GE, FedEx, Nike, think about what you can do. Think about the corporate purpose. If we exist to do whatever, what does that empower and enable you to do as a brand? And particularly now during a period where brands are helping people in new ways get through this really crazy time we're in. Well said, Lisa. Ken, last word on you. What would you, what's your big takeaway from this discussion for our listeners? My big takeaway would be that, um, number one, Samsung has done something that I didn't think any company could do, which is build a brand with stronger equity than Apple. Um, that's number one. Number two but it's losing versus Apple in terms of that equity and the purpose that's driving that equity from trickling down uh, to its individual uh, product brands. Um, so keep winning uh, in terms of building the corporate brand, but find a way to win better uh, in having the benefits of that trickling down to its individual products. I think if it can find that, uh, it's really going to give a- Apple and the iPhone a run for its money. Well said. You know, my, my takeaway is how this, this episode is so much about uh, everyone who's listening here probably works, almost everyone, for some product or service that's part of a corporate brand. And just understanding what your company is trying to do and what you're trying to do, and are they in harmony? Are they in synergy? Are they building off of each other? Is, is the sum of the parts, you know, greater than, or the, it's a whole greater than the sum of the parts? Right. And I think this is a great case of, of challenging that uh, because here's a fabulous company, Samsung and, and Galaxy. They could be better. Right. And iPhone's done it pretty well on their benchmark of, 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 of product brands, if you will, drafting off of a strong equity of the corporate brand. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Ken. You're a great team. Uh, it was, it's, it's been a fabulous chat. I welcome you back to the podcast as soon as we can take apart another interesting classic brand case. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I look forward to doing it again. Mm. 
Thanks, Jim. It's what makes brand building endlessly fun and interesting. There's always ways to grow. That was my discussion with Lisa and Ken. I spent 25 years at a house of brands, Procter & Gamble, with its hundreds of brands. And a key principle I learned is understand what the company's purpose is. And in every brand I worked on, whether it was Pampers, whether it was Old Spice, whether it was a number of food brands, whether it was Tide, think about how you take the strength of the parent, apply it to your sub-brand, and what you do as a sub-brand makes the parent stronger. That's what you call a virtuous circle. Lisa had a quote in this podcast that if you're working on a sub-brand in a company, that you should borrow from the equity of the corporate brand, but also pay rent through your actions to the corporate brand in what you do on your sub-brand. That is a wonderful management principle. That is going to do it for this episode. To learn more about Barra Group, visit their website, barra.ai. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and please tell a friend. Prosperity Through Purpose and the CMO Podcast are a Gallery Media Group original production.